Praise the Lord. God is good. Amen. Are you blessed? I'm feeling incredibly blessed. I, I loved our time of worship this morning. You know, overall, I just love being here on a Sunday. I don't know about you. I love this church. I think this church is the best church in the world. And I think you might say that I'm biased. I'm not. I love being here with you guys. It's not about the people that lead. It's about who we are as a church. It's about what God is doing in our lives right now. Hey, are you not excited? Maybe you guys can't see as much as Greg and I or the leadership team because we're, we're looking ahead and thinking. We're amazingly enthusiastic about the future and what God's doing right now. And I hope you feel the same. There's no place that I wouldn't rather be on a Sunday. You know, <laughs> our family shame this weekend has had a horrendous time. On Friday night, I was up through the night with this vomiting and diarrhea thing going around. And yesterday, I felt grim. And this morning, we woke up feeling tired and weary. But you know what? We wouldn't let that stop us being here today. Because we know that God always meets with us as his people. And we would want to make every effort to be here today. Because we love being with you guys. And we love all that God's doing. So as leaders, you know, I, I want to try and convey some of our hearts. We are desperate for God to do all that he has planned for us as a church. You know, the reason that we do what we do is not because we earn a paycheck at the end of the month. That's not the reason why we do this. We don't do this because it's just a job. We, if you took the money away, yes, life would be difficult, but we'd still want to do it. Do you understand where we're coming from? This, this is everything for us. And we're desperate to go on a journey as a church and see God do everything that he planned for us. We, when we pray, when we consider what God's saying, we want to make sure that as a church we're right where we want to be because we understand that gathered together as the church, we're the hope of the world, you know? That when we go in his name and we, we go in the power of the Holy Spirit, his, re his revelation to us, we truly make a significant impact in the earth. And that's our desire. And so I say that this morning because I'm really excited to speak about a church in the book of Thessalonians that Paul truly boasts about. And today my plan is for us to help or to help us try and see what it is that causes Paul to call them the model church. That's the title of my sermon today, the model church. You know that word model when you look in the Greek, is also translated as prototype. When he talks about the, ch the church in Thessalonians, I want us to all understand and, and, and realize that we can learn from these people. And so I want to do that today. If you're with, you've got a Bible with you, you can turn with me. I'm going to read it from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul is obviously the writer of the book of Thessalonians. He's writing to the Thessalonian church. And this is what he says. Listen, let's read together. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, he says, and peace to you. 
We always, listen to this, when Paul thinks about this church, listen to what he says. He says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus. He says, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of our Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became, listen, a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has been become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Amazing. You became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and, Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Wouldn't it be awesome to be remembered as that kind of church, as a model church? You know, when we think about this church and where we're going, and we read things like that, we think, wow, what were they doing? What was God doing in their midst that we can emulate that we can follow the prototype, the, the example that Paul describes as a model for us all. Well, so I want to do that today. I want to look at two main points. My, my first one is, I want to look at how they received the gospel. Really important for us to understand that how we receive the gospel determines what happens in our lives and through our lives. And the second thing I want to talk about is what it produced in them. Who they became after they received the gospel. If you read in the book of Acts chapter 17, from verse 1 through to verse 4, you'll read the story of how the Thessalonian church began. And the point really that I want to make is those were difficult times. Because in verse 5, I think it is, it talks about how the believers sent Paul away. When the gospel went out in that area and people got saved... There was much jealousy that brewed amongst some of the leaders there. And they gathered together a rabble of very dubious people with the purpose of trying to stop what Paul had been trying to achieve in the Thessalonians there. And so as a result of the, the suffering and the difficulty and the persecution that the church was facing, they thought it better to send Paul away. And Paul moved on from there to other areas to share the gospel. But it's important for us to understand that this was a difficult time for the church. I wonder how you find the spiritual climate that we live in. Is it a persecuted climate? 
where we feel like we have to send our leaders away because their harm is coming. This was where these folk and their church began. How did they respond when the gospel came to them? How did they receive it? In verse 4 it says, Paul says, We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. I found that phrase when I read it, when Paul says that God has chosen you interesting, because I believe that God has this universal call on mankind to be saved. You know? That he wants all men, women, children, everyone to be saved. That's his desire. But as I read these verses, I I got this idea that God had something special for this church. But what they actually realized as a church was very dependent on how open they were to it. Like I believe that God has something very special for us as a church. I don't say that glibly. I believe this is the time for us. But I want us to look at what enables God to do all that he wants to do through us. And I believe these guys are a great model. He says, um, you are loved by God and that he has chosen you. And this is why uh, Paul says, I believe that God has chosen you. And, and And when he says chosen, significantly chosen you. He says, because our gospel didn't come to you simply with words. That's how we bring the gospel. You know, as people, we take that life-giving message and we share that message. But we have to understand that if it's just us, it's empty. Amen. And Paul goes on to say, you know, we brought the message, but with that message came power. You know, as we spoke in faith, as we spoke the truth, He's saying there, the Holy Spirit came in power through us. Not only did the gospel message go out, but people got healed. People got saved. Uh, There was freedom that was taking place in people's lives. And there was deep conviction. Don't you find that an interesting phrase? Deep conviction. Just ponder on that for a minute. I want to tell you today, like I'm becoming increasingly aware of, we need to be people who live out of deep conviction. This is not a game. Amen. It's not a hobby. It's not a pastime because we've got so much time in our day and we need to fill it up with something. The gospel is no light thing. Salvation is everything. And when these guys heard this message... They were so open to the gospel. They were so receptive to what God was saying and wanting to do that deep conviction grew in their hearts. And it compelled them to be someone that they weren't before. I wonder if you are here today and you're sitting and you're thinking, God, I wish that I could live out of a deeper conviction for your glory in the earth. You can live with that conviction But it's down to how open you are to receiving that message. 
Paul goes on to say in verse 6, You became imitators of us and the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given you by the Holy Spirit. You welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. That says so much to me about how we need to position ourselves to be in a place that God can do all that he wants to do. Do you welcome what God wants to do in your life? I find that I can say yes, but then I sit down and think, do I really welcome all that God has for me? Do I? Do I really? I wanted to say today that the measure that you experience of God moving in your life is directly connected to your welcoming all that he has for you. If, if you. if you want more from the Lord, if you want more, you need to give him more. Huh? We can't expect to get everything when we give 50%. It's not going to work. And, and I say that today because I've realized that over the 20-something years that I've been a Christian, I've realized that I don't accidentally fall more in love with God. I don't accidentally see things happening in my life. It's when I give myself wholeheartedly to Him, and yet I don't even feel like I have completely given Him myself wholeheartedly. It's like this journey that we're on, amen, that every day we realize, gee, I'm still holding back, and I give Him more. And when I give Him more, I go higher into Him. That ceiling that I thought was over my life gets shattered and I experience more and I see more happening around me and in my life. It's an increasing revelation. We need it, folks. I want to encourage you to be so hungry for the things of God that you would welcome anything that He has for you, that you would do anything that He calls you to. That's the only way that we will see all that God has for us. And that I just wanted to make that point today because it is so important. If we're called to be the church and we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we can't wander along half-heartedly and hope that he'll do something. Yes, it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. But his throne is built as we bring our lives to him as we lay our lives down. And I, I really got a beautiful picture that I want to share at the end. Please don't let me forget. I believe it's a prophetic word for us that really encouraged me. I want to be a person of deep conviction. And I want to be so deeply convicted that I'll live my life faithfully and truthfully in spite of what repercussions that might bring. Because that's, folks, what it takes. Amen. As we fall more in love with Him, we live more convicted for Him. Let me talk about a little bit of what the gospel produced. So this is how they received the gospel. My second point is what does it produce in them? And I want to look at the first few verses. Paul says, I always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. Let's talk about work and faith and how they're related. These guys received the gospel 
and welcomed it so openly. That word work means acts, uh, the result of employment. So when you take a job, you get a job description, and if you want to get paid at the end of the day, you fulfill the job description. Do you know what I'm saying? Otherwise you get fired. When you take a job, you're there for a purpose. And the idea here is that these guys got saved and suddenly they had a new boss. Is Jesus really the boss of your life? You know what I'm saying? Is he the one who calls the shots? Jesus had become the boss in their lives and their lifestyles had changed. Physically, people could see something different. It was so obvious that they didn't have to say anything. Paul talks about, I don't need to say anything about it later on. The world was impacted by these people and it was like he didn't say, hey guys, do you know what's actually happening here? The world knew that Jesus was alive in these guys. They had been fully persuaded by the truth of the gospel and they had rolled out their lives every day, the rest of their lives for Jesus. Man, Lord, please help me to come to that place. Amen. That's the desire of my heart. He goes on to talk about your labor prompted by love. That word labor means travail or trouble or uneasiness, like the work involved was hardcore. It wasn't a light thing. It wasn't easy. Now, that word labor is not referring to the act itself. It's referring to the weariness of the people having exerted themselves for the Lord. Does your life for Jesus leave you tired and weary? Like, not resentful or unhappy or begrudgingly, but I had an awesome day today for the Lord and I'm now worn out. I need to rest so that tomorrow... I can hit the ground running again. That, tr- that trouble, that travail, that uneasiness, that weariness, in this context, has nothing to do with the job that we do. You know, whether it's in the church or in the world, it's not talking about that tiredness. It's talking about the tiredness that comes from living for Jesus. It's setting this apart as something that comes when we live wholeheartedly for the Lord. Paul is encouraging them and saying, guys, I thank God for you when you get in your bed at night and you're weary because you've wearied yourself for the gospel. Your labor prompted by love. Agape. Unselfish, charitable, selfless giving of love. That's a challenge. Hey? It's a challenge for us today. And he goes on to talk about um, your endurance inspired by hope. That word endurance has two ideas. It talks about to abide and under. That place of living under hope. This idea that all this effort All this that I give for Jesus, one day I am going to be rewarded by Him. Him. 
That makes my life spent for him so worthwhile. It means that they were prepared to keep going and not surrender and not succumb in spite of the suffering that they may have been facing because they were living their lives for the cause of Jesus. There's the challenge for us, folks. Wholehearted devotion to Jesus. Not my Sunday bolt-on. When I go back to Monday, it's a different me, a different life. Actually, the rest of my life falls under why I go on a Sunday. The choices that I make, the desires that I have in my heart, what I do with my stuff, all for Jesus. That, folks, is the picture that Paul is painting for us here of this model church. I don't know how you find that. I find that deeply challenging. Because sometimes I feel that I live my life out of what's convenient for me. And that's natural and that's normal. But I believe that God is saying, come on, there's more. Whatever you do in my name will last. Whatever you live for in my name will last. All that other stuff means nothing. It's about my fame and my glory and salvation in the earth. It's challenging. Amen. It's so challenging. I want to raise an important point right here. And I want to talk about our motivation for doing this. Because a few weeks ago, I felt quite deeply spoken to by the Lord. Why would we do all that I'm talking about? I want to talk about the dangers of doing it for the wrong reason. I guess there are three reasons why we could do this. Whether we intend to or not, it could be that we get into doing this for ourselves, that somehow we want acknowledgement. It's more about us. There's some selfish ambition in there. It could be that we're doing it because someone else even asked us to. Or hopefully it's because we're doing it for Jesus. It's all for Jesus. I want to challenge you today as you live your life to make Jesus the reason for everything that you do. I don't ever want you to fall into the trap of doing it out of some selfish ambition or out of trying to please somebody. If it's not right for you, say no. (laughs) But if it is right, please say yes. Do it because Jesus is calling you to do whatever it is that you're doing. You know, if it's for someone else or if it's for you, I promise you, someone will do something, someone will say something, someone will not appreciate you, and you feel like you deserve to be appreciated. And that knocks you back. It throws you off kilter and leaves you wanting to not do it anymore. Have you been in that place before where your motivation, your intention has been right, but actually when you look back on the situation, you realized you weren't doing it for Jesus. And when you think about why you were disappointed and why you were hurt, you realize because 
I was doing it for me. Or I was doing it for someone else. And they're so ungrateful. It's all for Jesus. Amen. I want to tell you today, you may not get rewarded on this earth like you feel you need to. You may not feel appreciated like you deserve. But when Jesus comes back, or when you go to be with him, this life will seem like a tiny thing. And God will reward you more than you can conceive right now. But if you're living for a reward right now, and only now, you may be disappointed. God wants to reward us, but it's really important that in this life we keep our eyes on Jesus. Everything I do, every sacrifice I make, everything I give is for Jesus. That's my challenge, to live in that awareness. And I want to encourage you too to be people who live under the pleasure of God. When he looks down on you, he smiles and smiles and smiles. When you live for him, he dances for joy. And when one day we get to be with him, I promise you, you will feel like you missed nothing on earth. Because that embrace that you get from your Savior will make everything pale into insignificance. Check your heart moment by moment. When you wake up in the morning, Jesus, it's for you today. If I don't get the appreciation that I deserve, that doesn't matter because I know you value everything I do for you and everything I do for you is full of meaning. It's not wasted. It's not empty. It's an investment in eternity. Hallelujah. So I'm going to tie it up now before I share that picture with you. And I want to ask three questions today. My first question is, how wholeheartedly are you living for Jesus right now? Do you recognize this? It's rock candy. I am always fascinated by the fact that when I look on the end, I read Jersey Rock. And wherever I break this thing, it still says Jersey Rock. Whether it's at the beginning or at the end or at the middle, I don't know how they do that, but it amazes me. Hey, does anyone know how that happens? I'll ask you later. My point is this, folks. Listen to me carefully. If your life was to be broken off at any point, what would be the central theme of your life? Would it say all for Jesus? Or would the beginning bit say all for Jesus and then the next bit say some for me? <laughs> huh? Think about what all for Jesus means. What does it mean? Everything. Everything you aspire to, everything that you do with your life, everything that you give of your stuff, of your time, 
Have you fallen into the trap of compartmentalizing your life? Some for me, some for God. If that is the case, can I encourage you today, when we have prayer at the end, to repent? In a large part because you're missing out on so much of what God has for you. Amen? How wholeheartedly are you living for Jesus? My second question is, what is the gospel producing in your life? To the measure that you receive the message determines on what people evidence or what is evidenced in your life. Are you wholeheartedly open to whatever God has for you? Think about that. How much do you want to see expressed through your life determines how much you're willing to open yourself up. There's a direct correlation right there. You can't separate the two. You can't separate the two. My last point, or my last question, are you feeling weary? Hey? Are you feeling weary for Jesus? If you are, praise the Lord. Are you feeling weary? I'm not telling you to, you're getting too serious for Jesus. You need to keep things in perspective because you're going to wear yourself out. There's too much going on in your life. I really felt the Lord say, there's nothing more worthy of wearying yourself for me. And my challenge to you would be, let him fill you up day by day. Let him fill you up day by day so you can weary yourself for him. Don't feel despondent at the weariness. Thank God for the effort that you're exerting for his name. Let him refresh you. Take time to be in his presence and let him refresh you. Everything that we do for Jesus will last. Everything else will get burned up. How you work that out in your life, I don't know. Seek the Lord. But I would say, err on the side of wearing yourself out for Jesus more than for anything else. Somehow, ask Him to give you wisdom so that you can make your life count for Him. So that other stuff doesn't fill your life up so much that you're limited. Ask Him to show you how you can take control of your time and give more of yourself to Him. For the gospel, for His fame, for His glory. When we were worshipping earlier on, I had this picture, and it was uncanny. It came before the song, I Adore You, and the whole song, I Adore You, just encapsulated this picture that I had. But it was of Jesus sat on the throne. And his throne, it was like I started with Jesus on the throne, and then I began to see what was under the throne, and his throne was resting on a mountain of crowns. And I just began to reflect on that for a little while. A mountain of beautiful golden crowns. And the picture kind of panned down 
and I got an idea of how massive this mountain of crowns was. And at the bottom, surrounding that mountain, were countless, countless people throwing their crowns and creating a mountain for the Lord to build his throne upon. And I want to tell you today, those crowns in the Bible reflect our lives. All that we do, all that we think is important about us, the Bible says in Revelation that, that you know, they fall down casting their crowns before the Lord as if to say, you know what? I am nothing. You are everything. This crown that makes me important, I toss it at your feet because it's about your fame and your glory. And as we come to the Lord with our skills, with our talents, with our gifts, with our efforts, with our time, with our resources, and we say, Jesus, all for you, and we cast them down, we elevate him higher and higher and higher, such that the world cannot mistake who the king is. Hey? And I believe that that's a picture for us as a church, as a people, to be willing to cast down our crowns and say, Lord, it's for your glory, all for you. That, folks, is the mark of a servant. Eyes fixed on the one Jesus. All for you, Lord God. My life, every minute of every day, whether I'm at work, whether I'm at school, whether I'm at dinner with my friends, whether I'm out and about in town, it's for you, Lord. What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? What do you want me to build for you? How can I invest myself for your glory? Beautiful. What a church. Just imagine if we could get to grips with this and make it our reality. This is not some far away, oh, wouldn't that be lovely? It's possible. If we want it and we pursue it, it will be our heritage. If we lay ourselves down for Jesus, he could change the world through us. He could change the world through you. My big challenge for you is go to him. Say, how Jesus, what are you calling me to? And then respond in faith. Welcome what he tells you with open arms. And I believe he'll do great things through you. Let's pray together.